This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. We interrupt this program to bring you the following message. What if everything you've been told about money was a lie? It's time for the truth. Welcome to Financial Coaching Radio, where cookie-cutter financial advice just doesn't cut it. With your host, certified financial planner, Jason Qualls. He's giving it to you straight and pulling back the curtains on the financial advice industry. No hidden agenda and no one-size-fits-all baby steps. Only unbiased, objective help for your entire financial life. Tackling your money questions at 893-1450. And now, here's the host of Financial Coaching Radio, commission-free, certified financial planner, Jason Qualls. What is up? Welcome on the show, giving you the truth about personal finance. This is Financial Coaching Radio, and I'm your host, Jason Qualls, certified financial planner, one of the only independent commission-free financial advisors in Rutherford County. For all about me, the website is always Jason Qualls, cfp.com, J-A-S-O-N-Q-U-A-L-L-S, cfp.com. Questions, comments, click email the show or any of the social media tabs at financialcoachingradio.com. Let's talk about the S&P 500, where it's heading. But first, what is the S&P 500? You log on to your app, you log on or you turn on the TV or listen to the radio. The market update is usually what the Dow is doing, the Dow Jones Industrial Index, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ. We'll exclude the NASDAQ for today. What is the S&P 500? Essentially, it's the 500 largest companies in the U.S. and sometimes the world. But it's all basically U.S. stocks. It's the large companies that gives us an idea of how the stock market is performing here in the U.S. And typically, it is the driver of how the world market is doing. Sometimes the international indexes indices will sell off and that will reflect what happens in the u.s or vice versa the dow jones industrial index 30 largest companies in the u.s the s p 500 is typically what folks use as the biggest indicator of what the u.s market is doing is the stock market at a top one person has an opinion there's nine reasons the s p 500 is going to continue to go up strong momentum do i care about momentum well not really the s p 500 is just uh notched its fastest doubling in history as it surged from lows of around 2240 uh march 23rd to around 4500 in august so that's talking about covid until around now it is also uh, already has set 50 closing records this year this kind of record-breaking momentum clearly just can't last forever, but there's still strong momentum. Earnings. This is what I always do. People ask me, what's, what's the market going to do? I'm like, companies are still making money. The companies that drive the largest indexes or indices in the U.S., they're still very, very profitable. And I don't think that we're anywhere near full capacity of our economy because of everything that's changed in our lives due, due to the pandemic companies across the s&p 500 have beat estimates by an average of more than 19 percent in the last five quarters 
What does that mean? It means that the companies in the S&P have outperformed earnings, profits, expectations for the last year and a quarter. Not only just barely, but by 19%. That is astounding. Just think what they would be doing and what they would be making if we weren't in this pandemic. The Federal Reserve tapering fears subsided. One of the bearish arguments some investors have had in 2021 is that the U.S. Federal Reserve is considering tapering stimulus efforts that include $120 billion in monthly bond purchases. However, most reports indicate any such stimulus drawdown will not occur in the near term, perhaps not until November at the earliest. That may sound like bad news for though, bad news, but most people aren't even caring. And if the Fed is tapering, what is that signaling? Now they're trying to do some things, trying to control inflation, maybe spike inflation. I think in this case, could be trying to control inflation or the economy is recovering where they don't have to do that anymore. I'm not pretend to be some economy expert, but when the Fed gets its hands dirty in what the economy is doing, it's usually to stimulate growth, typically. Wall Street is still bullish. According to recent data, 56% of analyst recommendations on the S&P 500 stocks are buy or the equivalent. I look at that as a negative because just when everyone thinks everything is going to continue to go up, Shocker, surprise, it doesn't. But that is another indicator. Housing market is one reason this of this person's opinion that the S&P 500 will continue to go up for the rest of the year. So housing market wealth effect. Generally speaking, the typical American doesn't have the majority of its wealth tied up in stocks. Rather, their home represents as much as two-thirds of their total assets. That's particularly good news in 2021 as housing prices continue to surge in July, median home prices were up an impressive 18% year over year. So people are staying wealthy, becoming more and more wealthy because of the housing market. Core inflation versus food and energy. We hear a lot of talk about inflation, and the inflation is there. We're not really used to it because of the last 10 years, we've had basically no inflation. But core inflation is relatively stable. It's important to acknowledge that the chatter about inflation risk in 2021 often don't include the full story. Why is that? Because the financial media doesn't care about giving you the full story. In July, the year-over-year year on year inflation rate in the U.S. remained at a 20-year high of 5.4%. But when you skip food and energy prices that are historically quite volatile, the core monthly rate of inflation was just 0.3% in July which is modest but below expectations. So you got to think, certain aspects have been going crazy as far as it relates to prices because of COVID. A little bit of an anomaly, right? Those things aren't going to stay that way forever. Inflation doesn't equal a bear market anyway. It's worth pointing out that there is little direct correlation between relatively high inflation and relatively low rates of returns for U.S. stocks. Take 2011. When headline inflation threatened to hit 4%, again driven by food and energy, some investors feared that would upend the recovery from 2008-2009 financial crisis. That didn't happen. So, most investors should ignore short-term trends anyhow. What does that mean for you? You focus on the small stuff, you're going to get burned. Historically, 
10, 15, 20 year investing time frames, even shorter. And I'm not even going to use that data, but we go out long periods of time. Stocks have been the best performing asset class. It's undisputed. And we don't need to worry what happens this week, this month, next quarter, because those things really are out of our control. The market returns are out of our control. But we stretch it out even further. We get solid, decent returns, no matter what is happening in the world and what is happening in the economy. So I don't know what comes next, and neither do you, and neither does anyone else. And don't let anyone ever try to convince you that they do. But historically, if time and history can tell us and teach us anything, is that a diversified, low-cost investment strategy that you don't monkey around with too often has been the succeeding factor. And if you want to have success in investing, you just follow those principles. You don't jump in. You don't jump out. You don't worry. You don't read a lot of financial news because most of it is just complete BS anyway. Let's talk about this death cross. The death cross is back. Just been a few minutes here. I want to get too technical about it. The death cross in 10-year Treasury yields signals that bond yields may plummet to new depths and prices rally. So what's the death cross? The death cross in the benchmark 10-year Treasury note it was taking shape earlier in the week, forming a pattern in charts that point to the possibility of fresh lows for rates in the government debt used to price everything from mortgages to car loans. The so-called death cross in the 10-year Treasury comes even as the sediment on Wall Street is that debt prices are set to fall and yields are, set, are ready to rise. Yields for Treasuries now, Treasuries move opposite to prices. The point to where the 50-day moving average crosses below the 200 moving average is usually referred to technical to by technical analysts, excuse me, as a death cross. So you want to know what the, it's just a technical. What is technical analysis in investing? You're looking at graphs, and you hope the graphs can tell you something about the future. But the death cross is back. I can't. It's been a while since we had the death cross. But what a name, right? Does it not mean anything? Ah, who will see? I say ignore, ignore, ignore. But anything that tells me interest rates are going to stay low is a positive in my view. Again, I'm not an economist. I don't know how long we can keep 25 2.75% 30-year mortgages and actually um, that be sustainable. I really don't know that. But I'm happy it's here. You should be too. No one knows the future, but you can control how much you save, where you save, and what you're investing in and who you're hiring as a financial planner make sure you get a second opinion on your investments your financial life from an independent fee only certified financial planner if you want more info go to jasonqualscfp.com we're going to take our first break make sure you keep it locked in right here on wgns i'm back right after this Hey, Financial Coaching Radio listeners, if you don't understand exactly how your financial advisor is compensated, you could be in big trouble. My name is Jason Qualls, a commission-free certified financial planner. To learn more about why my process is so unique, go to jasonqualscfp.com or call 878-2134 today. Okay, folks, I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. If you were my client or a loved one, I would never let you get your wills done online. 
This is truly a case of where you only get what you pay for, and those you leave behind will be the ones to pay the price. Go see estate planning attorney John Baker today by calling 896-5621 or go to bakercouncil.com. Again, that's 896-5621 or bakercouncil.com. Get the expert estate planning advice you need today. Did you know that the U.S. tax code has over 70,000 pages? This is precisely why you must have a tax expert on your team. The folks at THNW CPAs have been providing their expertise to individuals and businesses in Middle Tennessee for over 50 years. And now they have an office right here in Murfreesboro. Call Kevin Sizemore today with THNW CPAs at 848-1072. That's 848-1072 or online at THWCPA.com. Welcome back to the show. This is Financial Coaching Radio, switching topics and talking estate planning. This segment with John Baker, estate planning attorney, BakerCouncil.com. John, a very common question I assume that you get asked many, many times being an elder law attorney. Uh, First up, what is an elder law attorney and what makes that specialty a little bit unique compared to some of the other specialties? Is, can encompass you know several areas of law um, that may impact what we typically think of a, 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 as the elder population. Uh, so it could involve estate planning. Uh, it can involve long-term care, like nursing homes, assisted living, planning, planning for those. Uh, it could involve uh, abuse. You know, if there's there's elder abuse, people taking advantage of uh, elderly persons. Uh, benefits, you know, government benefits such as VA benefits or Medicaid benefits. So it can encompass several areas of law. It's not just one area. And that's kind of what makes it uh, uh, kind of stand out. You know, uh, it's it's focused on the needs of the client, not j- which is not necessarily just one area of the law. So someone is uh, has a family member, maybe themselves are in a nursing home and they're wondering what do they do with the home if they still have own ownership of their house and they're living in a nursing home maybe assisted living what are their options with the house is yeah. it is this something that should have been handled before the nursing home what is the typical scenario here yeah so well you know most people uh uh will have some some form of estate planning in place you know they have a will a power of attorney you know health care directives in place and then you know let's say one of the spouses gets ill and they're going to be in a nursing home long term they can no longer live at home Uh, most people don't have the money to to pay privately for nursing home care for very long because you know it can cost you you know seven eight thousand or more a month so most people's savings will not last long like that and they're also if there's a spouse at home, they're also particularly concerned about preserving as much as possible for that spouse because we don't know what all that spouse might need into the future. And so most people will look to Medicaid, uh, which is the government uh, program that funds uh, you know, a little over half of the uh, long-term care med- uh, nursing home patients in the country. And that's because most people, again, would not have the wherewithal financially to pay that for very long, so they end up 
qualifying for Medicaid. Medicaid is a need-based system funded primarily by the federal government and uh, administered by each state. Each state's rules differ. So planning for Medicaid and, and, and Medicaid qualification uh, can vary from state to state. Uh, and, it, you know, in Tennessee, generally what us planners like to do, if, if we have a spousal situation, if, uh, if one spouse is going in the nursing home, we generally try to get the house and, and oftentimes other assets into the name of the spouse at home as opposed to having it in the name of the spouse going in, in in the nursing home. So is that would that be a gift? Would it be a quick claim? How how does that? How, what is yeah, the logistics? Usually, we're going to use what's called a quick claim deed. You know, assuming we have the authority or or the or the nursing home spouse is, is competent, we will transfer it through a quick claim deed to the other spouse. So in the Medicaid arena, uh, a transfer to a spouse like that. Uh, is not a, a penalizing transfer of assets because it's between spouses. So this five-year look-back rule that you'll hear in Medicaid uh, does not apply to transfers to spouses like that. So that's something you can do in a crisis situation and, and commonly is done in the crisis situation. What about uh, doing the same thing but giving it to children or another now, family member? Yeah, now if you, you – it's – you, if you give to children in a crisis situation, then that is going to trigger this five-year look-back where essentially Medicaid is going to deem that a, a penalizing transfer and will not pay for care based on the value of the gift and how much uh, care that they determined that that would, uh, would have been available to, to pay. So if you gave away a $100,000 house... Medicaid might say, well, we're not going to pay for 18 months because you gave away 18 months of value to your children. So dad goes into a nursing home. They own a home jointly. He's going to gift or quit claim deed the house ownership just to mom. Mm -hmm. And then say she becomes sick. You know, it, and you know, quit claiming it to kids may, mm -hmm. may not be the best option. What about selling it to a family member or mm -hmm. selling it to a third party? Um, you know, sometimes that makes sense. You, you have to, you know, you have to look at the situation. Um, we, I've certainly done that before where we think we can get, uh, you know, let's say uh, a, a child want, wants the home, wants to purchase it, and we believe we can do that for a good value uh, and, and, and not run afoul of anything with Medicaid, then, then we may very well do that. And the key word there is run afoul is because if right. you sold it to a family member or someone close to you and you sold it for less than market value, then that's that's an issue, right? Right, and, and, and we've just got to make sure it fits the overall plan there. But sometimes that does. Sometimes we will sell the house and incorporate that in, into a broader plan. But if you're not selling to a family member, you're selling it outright, is there any issue that comes up that would prevent you from being able to sell it while you're in a well, nursing home? If, if you do sell it, um, you know, you're going to get money in exchange for the value of the house. So let's say if it's a $200,000 house, which may have been an exempt asset because it was your homestead, so it gets an exemption under Medicaid, but now it's not a house, it's $200,000 cash. Well, cash is not an exempt asset, so now... You know, you might have too many assets to qualify, you know, uh, accountable assets being the cash. So so you have to plan, you know, you have to look at that. And then, you know, do we need to plan for that? So that that's where you can really get into the details of a case. It's kind of case by case. 
Uh, but uh, well, first thing that crossed my mind in that scenario where, you know, if, let's say you still have a healthy spouse at home and the, they sell it because maybe that healthy spouse is going to go mm-hmm. live with a son or daughter or something. Mm-hmm. And then there's cash generated from the sale of a jointly owned house, mm-hmm. but then that cash is just gifted all to the healthy spouse. Is that still the same result as you first described earlier and just well, quit claiming it to the healthy spouse? There are some situations where you can do something like that. Um, usually what we have to do is because the cash is, is a countable asset, whether it's in the spouse at home's name or whether it's in the name of the spouse in the nursing home so it's still countable Uh, but we may be able to convert that to an income stream and to do that we usually use annuities these these have to be what we call medicaid compliant annuities in other words they comply with the medicaid rules and uh, sometimes we can do that and annuitize the the funds into a monthly income stream uh, you know, for the spouse at home. So that that's another uh, uh, option that may be available for, for married uh, couples. Uh, Medicaid does have rules for, for married couples to, to provide some protection for the spouse at home. And so that's what we're trying to, to work within that framework. If you're just joining in, we're talking estate planning, elder law planning, with John Baker, estate planning attorney here on Financial Coaching Radio. I'm Jason Qual, certified financial planner. You mentioned uh, when the house is sold, uh, or you turn in a house when it's sold, the, the money from the house into an income stream with a Medicaid compliant annuity. What if you keep the house, but the healthy spouse moves out, moves in with a son or daughter, and you turn that house into an income stream via a rental property, and you place it into some type of business entity like an LLC? Does that accomplish anything in the Medicaid estate planning yeah, world? I'm, uh, I haven't uh, really utilized the LLC in that, that regard, but in, in, in probably most of the time would not really need to look at anything like that because... Um, uh, Medicaid, uh, if, if, if you do rent out the home that, that's otherwise exempt, that's permissible, but that rental income is now available to help pay the cost of care. And that can be, you know, and that, that can be a solution in, in some cases to rent it out. But what I run into a lot of times is that, you know, if we're just talking about one rental property, you know, the headaches of managing and, you know, uh, maintenance and tenants and all the things you have to go through uh, to rent a property for just one property. Um, I've kind of found that uh, in most cases, uh, not all, but in most cases, uh, that, that, that does not work long term. They, they tire of, of the hassles of, of, of having to maintain uh, you know, one rental property. So if you're going to keep the house, figure out something that's compliant with the Medicaid rules, like just quit claiming it to the healthy spouse. Mm-hmm. If there is no healthy spouse, or maybe there is, and that spouse is not going to live at home. Maybe you sell the home for fair market value, but you turn it into an income stream that's not absolutely countable by Medicaid. There's really no other workarounds, really. It sounds like. Yeah. Well, those are those are probably the the, the two most common that, that, that the, come to mind. Does a trust fit in all all here with the house? So so when you if if you're uh, gifting uh, an asset uh, to a trust, maybe it's a trust that you've created and you're getting assets out of your benefit and out of your control and you're going to gift a lot of times that is done in in a certain type of gifting trust and and that you can do that however that transfer uh, is to an irrevocable trust and it will be 
a, a penalizing transfer. So this five-year Medicaid look-back comes into play. So kind of the lesson there is if you're interested in that type of planning, you need to do that before you need to go in the nursing home, you know, not, not at, the, at the time you need it because then you're subject to the five-year look-back. But if the spouses are relatively healthy, they're at the age and, 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 and time in life where they're ready to do something like that, you know, then, then that is another uh, popular planning uh, option. Well, just like any other type of financial planning, state planning, elder law planning, no different, but these are some of the lesser-known laws uh, having to do with Medicaid and taxes and, and gifting rules. Better to seek the help of someone. Yeah, there, there's that, so much confusion out there, and rightfully so, because, because it's just a complex area. But, you know, one of the things I see often is, is the confusion of tax law with Medicaid law. You know, we have a gift tax annual exclusion um, or annual exemption of about, what is it, $15,000 a year per donee now, I think. Yep. Uh, so uh, people sometimes think that tax concept applies to Medicaid, and they'll come in and they'll say, well, um, we can give away 15000 to each of the kids, Right. And I'll say, you know, not for Medicaid purposes, no, that that's not going to work. That's a tax law that you're thinking about. And tax law and Medicaid law, you know, don't necessarily uh, work together. If you're concerned about these issues, get expert help from an estate planning attorney. If you, have it, if you have a question for John, off the air. BakerCouncil.com is the website. BakerCouncil.com or local phone number 896-5621. This is Financial Coaching Radio. Stick around. We have more right after this. have a financial plan? I'm not talking about a worthless binder full of pretty charts and graphs. Are you certain you're on track to reach all your financial goals? A comprehensive financial plan is about so much more than just your IRA and mutual funds. It involves risk management, tax planning, professional investment management, retirement, and estate planning. Make sure your entire financial life is in order by calling me, Jason Qualls, a commission-free certified financial planner at 878-2134. Or go to my website, jasonquallscfp.com. Buying a house is stressful, and so is shopping for a mortgage. Take my advice and get a second opinion on the mortgage for your new home or your refinance. Not all banks and mortgage companies are created equal. Trust me on this. Call my friend Marshall Sparkman with Franklin Synergy Bank at 615-439-0885. Great team, great process, and the best rates. Marshall Spark with Franklin Synergy Bank at 615-439-0885. Welcome back to the show. This is Financial Coaching Radio, the one show giving you the truth about personal finance. No books to sell, certainly not pushing any financial products. If you're looking to learn more about what I do, go to jasonqualcfp.com. Still in the house is John Baker, estate planning attorney. John, we talk all the time about wills, powers of attorney. And something I don't know if we've touched on in quite some time would be what a poor overwill is. An overflow will, I guess, would be another way to say that term. What is it? Why do you need it? And uh, is it something people need to be concerned with? Yeah, so so usually a poor overwill is associated with a trust. So in an estate plan like that, uh, the individual has a trust, which may have a lot of the details of the plan, such as 
That's the big core document handling everything. Yeah, that's that's the big document that's got all the details in it. But they also have this will called a pour-over will. And the purpose of that will is that so when the individual dies, if there was not something um, titled to the trust or that doesn't otherwise pass by joint ownership or pay-on-death designation, um, that we can take that asset it'll require probate but we'll probate it and we'll put it into the trust because the pour over will says the trust is the beneficiary of the estate so it's kind of for leftover stuff that the trust missed yeah so if you think of the trust as a bucket the the pour over will is just going to pour whatever assets flowing through that will that was not already in the trust it's just going to pour it into that trust bucket and every trust i assume is if you're using using that as the core document would need this pour over will in case the trust missed anything that, that's right so you always you know you'll prepare a pour over will you know with, with the trust that, that you create ever seen a situation where the trust is the main document and not have a pour over will um the only time i've seen that come up is uh uh perhaps where uh the person that uh, maybe a trust is being created for them under a power of attorney that authorized that. Maybe they're not competent at this point to uh, you know create a trust and create a will themselves. And so someone un- un- has authority under a power of attorney then creates a trust for the individual. Well, the individual still can't really make a will, you know because they don't if they don't have mental capacity. So sometimes if there's a capacity issue, you might not be able to do the pour over will and uh, probably in that case you just want to make very sure that everything does have a place to go and it's not going to be uh, passing through through the probate estate you know without I will. could see you know someone doing some online estate planning they they buy the trust online and maybe that is sold along with a pour over will but they just don't do that document correctly or something and it's just non-existent i could see that, that that's the the well, that's, benefit that's of working a, with professional yeah, where you just don't miss things like that yeah that that's a great example probably a, a very good example um i was thinking in more in terms of, of attorney prepared documents but if yeah if you're out there doing things on your own or, or off the internet there's no you you can see everything you know coming from that so you'll see trusts that are uh you know just poorly worded you'll see wills that aren't properly witnessed uh you know just there's just no telling what'll come in like that john baker estate planning attorney right here in rutherford county bakercouncil.com bakercouncil.com this is financial coaching radio back right after this to wrap up the show how much are your investments costing you each year most people don't have a clue Why is this extremely important? Because overpaying by just 1% a year in fees and expenses can reduce your account balance at retirement by 28%. You heard me right. 28% less at retirement. I'm commission-free, certified financial planner, Jason Qualls. I don't sell financial products. I don't accept commissions or kickbacks from investment companies. Give me a call today for a free unbiased investment review at 878-2134. Or visit my website, jasonqualscfp.com. A recent undercover study found that over 89% of paid tax preparers made mistakes. You heard me right, over 89%. Is your tax person making mistakes? 
tax mistakes cost you money and may even lead to an IRS audit. I recommend you get a second opinion on your tax return today by calling Tothero Helen Welch CPAs at 848-1072. Tothero Helen Welch has been providing tax services to individuals and businesses for over 50 years. So call them today at 848-1072 or go to thwcpa.com. back to the show i had an interesting conversation with a very great um disciplined investor saver i think that's one of the biggest things that uh, we all have regrets about you know i wish i'd have started this younger i wish i would have started accumulating wealth in my 20s and my 30s can't go back in time and change anything all you can do is change the future but this gentleman obviously had been a obviously but he had been a, a very disciplined saver had accumulated a very nice nest egg for his age and I knew uh, when his income changed, started making a little bit more money, he was actually going to even change his financial life even further. Uh, all that discipline has led him to kind of be hands-on, to be very, very involved and very meticulous with his investment strategy. Nothing wrong with knowing what's going on in your financial life. But I think one of the areas when you start to accumulate wealth that you need an expert in is investing. Someone outside looking in can see things clearer than you can because of emotional attachments, fear, and greed, all things that drive us to make investing mistakes. That is why, at a fair point, depending on your investment situation, your financial planning situation, you should trust the advice of a professional, but not just any professional. Someone who stands by you on your side, a full-time fiduciary, an investment professional, financial planning expert, like a fee-only certified financial planner. If you're looking to learn more about what I do, how I do it, go to jasonqualscfp.com for more. Listen to the show anytime, anywhere at financialcoachingradio.com. Just click on archives. I'll be back with you next time. I'm out for today, but keep it locked in right here on WGNS. There's more local talk, as always, on the way. You've been listening to Financial Coaching Radio with commission-free certified financial planner Jason Qualls. Tune in weekdays here on WGNS, FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and W.